What are we talking about with Fort McMurray? I, I thought, well, Nick mentioned it. It was that it was the only thing on his radar. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk about from the climate perspective. And It a, has nothing to do with climate, though. What do you mean it doesn't have anything Forest to do with Forest fires happen every single year. Of course they do. Right. So what about this specific one is climate change related? I, I'm not saying this one is climate change related. What? <laughs> I'm talking big picture. I know. Like, that's it's, it's an opportunity to talk about the same way gun violence is an opportunity to talk about gun control. But it's not that this specific one is especially climate change related. They're Yeah, they're all climate change. No, they're not. They're not, though. No, they're not, really. They're, they're, they're forest they're... life cycle related. Have we been counted in and introduced yet? Because I feel like this is like... <laughs> This is what a lot of the podcast is like. Oh, God. So, fine. Going live. <laughs> he says begrudgingly. <laughs> All right. I guess that's going to be the intro then. Um, this show apparently is going to start pre-follow-up with a discussion on whether or not we can consider extreme weather events or extreme environmental happenings related whatsoever to the forest fire that's happening okay. in northern Alberta right now. To, to even before that, we have to determine if this is even an extreme weather event, which I would disagree with. Uh, well, that's why I said environmental happenstance. Like this is a big natural disaster type thing. Whether you call it natural disaster like an earthquake, whether you categorize it that way is kind of beyond the point. Sure. Well, it's it's the overall dry conditions that have yeah. led to the, mm -hmm. the... Well, in the immediate term, that's what's led to the fire because... Apparently, I did some reading on this. They were calling for more forest management a couple of years ago just yeah. because there is, well, there was so much old growth forest and so much duff and so much everything that was ready to combust. And yeah. now it has. That said, there's also been response, you know, in recent days saying, yeah, there was not a whole lot that was going to stop this just because of how dry everything was. Right. Like, because it actually jumped fire breaks and it jumped the Athabasca River, which is a kilometer wide at the point at which it jumped, apparently. Right. Which seems crazy to me. So, Mike, you don't think this fits in a conversation, like it can inform a conversation about climate change, but you don't think that this fits in. I think we, A, we know so little about it right now that it's mm -hmm. impossible to say that if this specific event was caused by X. I think I think it's a good sure. opportunity to talk about a what causes forest fires, the conditions that led that would make for large scale forest fires such as this, and what can make it worse and and you know et cetera. Right. As I was saying pre-show, the forest fires that happen in this part of the world, they happen on a seasonal basis. Yes. It's it's, it's similar to how places flood regularly. Like it's. And they they have fair they have frequencies at the severity of the types of floods. Um, I don't know if they have a similar type system for categorizing forest fires, like you know a fifty year fire, a hundred year fire, whatever. Um, I don't think so. I don't. I'd imagine not. But yeah. in the, with this, because Fort McMurray is literally built in the middle of a forest, like it's carved into a forest. That, that forest being the boreal yeah. or the taiga, which spans the entirety of the globe. Right. So, you know, lots of trees right next to each other with a population right in the middle of it. That's kind of a recipe for disaster. 
if yep. if the conditions lead to such a fire in that area. And yeah. and you know, experts have said that, you know, the especially dry conditions this season made this fire worse. That's not to say it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for, you know, climate change or, you know, whatever. But it's more yeah. like it's it's just that much harder to control because of how dry it is right now. Um you know, they even got rain, I think, but because it was just so dry underneath that the rain never really made much of a difference in the spread of the fire. Um, but yeah, you know, like we were saying, this this is everyone's kind of jumping on on this chance to throw out the climate change talk. And mm-hmm. it's just, you know, not to sound like a gun activist, but it's, this isn't the time to talk about climate change when there's a, this type of tragedy happening and they're still haven't a figured out the cause of this specific tragedy and they're still trying to handle it i think what mike is trying to say is that guns don't kill people <laughs> trees kill people no I, <laughs> when they're on fire i think climate doesn't kill people fire kills people well yeah i mean combustion's responsible for both is there any kind of correlation there i i like i said the climate change makes it worse but right. I don't think you can say that it caused it. Okay, climate change didn't cause any individual forest fire, but I posted a link in the chat, and it'll be in the notes. Uh, and it's one of many that I've seen. So it's not like... It's not... Uh, an, like It's not imagination that overall global temperatures going up year by year and like hitting record highs in kind of the last 10 to 15 years all being some of the hottest on record is making any fire that does start, which again is inevitable. It comes from lightning. It comes from like campsites being left uh, or disposed of improperly. Um, All of these things, but that's what starts the fire. But what keeps it going and makes the the forest that it's in ripe for a huge fire. In this case, this one's massive and it like, it is affecting a densely populated city or not densely populated city, but it's more densely populated than the rest of Northern Alberta. Yeah. It makes it, worse like it makes it a massive scale and it makes stopping it really hard because everything is so hot and dry and yeah my understanding is that like it's just not it's not just an alberta thing the fires that have happened in ontario have been getting worse too and part of that might be climate because it's getting drier and part of that might be just our fire suppression methods catching up with us yeah that's true because every time we put out a fire, we're, we're, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember this. It's, I think it's the Smokey the Bear effect. Yeah. I, yeah. We're, we're getting increasingly severe fires where if you just let some smaller, so, well, they're going to be large fires now just because of what we've been doing. But mm-hmm. if smaller fires were to just go through, it would be, they would be much less intense. Yeah. I'm assuming that for the most part, you know, the fire control people, they let fires just burn as long as you're not risking populated areas and infrastructure, right? They, yeah, to my understanding, they, they do things like build, like, the I fire think breaks. they call them firewalls, fire, fire barriers, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. around kind of populated areas just so that that kind of thing, like the fire can't spread to a city. But I'm not sure they just kind of let it run its course, but they monitor it closely and they're okay with controlled burns as long as they don't get out of control or move really, really fast. Yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously a contributing factor. The, the fact that they don't like forest control, forest management, uh, whatever, wherever it may be, they don't want 
huge fires, but they realize they're aware, at least if they've been there for a while, that forest fires are necessary, like rejuvenating the forest, a, a burn that just clears out some of the, like the driest brush and all that is not going to like destroy a forest. It's going to let it kind of rebuild. It's necessary. Yeah. I'll also plug stuff you should know for the millionth time. <laughs> they actually have an episode on how wildfires work, which can explain some of the stuff that's happening up in Fort Mac right now. Okay. Like how this specific fire is now creating its own weather systems. Right. Which is just terrifying. Well, yeah. And that's self-sustaining, right? Or mm -hmm. I would have to assume that any weather system the fire creates is helping it proliferate. It uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, like, cause now you're starting to get lightning from the clouds, but right. depending on how the winds are blowing too, and the fire itself can influence the wind patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, it can further dry out any otherwise wet material in front of the fire. So it's, you know, it's, uh, what do you call it? Tinder dry by the time it gets there. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting stuff. Lots of science and tech that goes into it. More so science. Because yeah. <laughs> our tech at the moment is still much like, hey, we can dump big things on the fire that slow fire down. Or I don't know. What's the other one? Like we can cut holes in the forest so that hopefully fires don't get past the holes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have, I mean, there's a lot of techniques and the fact that there now are like it, anything that does happen like this is a lot more public. There, there was a time before phone lines, for instance, where a fire could happen in Northern Alberta. And first of all, nobody would really know about it in advance because we wouldn't have advanced, uh, warning about it starting in a small pocket of forest before it hit a city like Fort McMurray. But also there would be, it'd be a lot harder to have a coordinated evacuation effort. And so it could have been a lot more costly, right? And now they're, as soon as the fire kind of got to a point where it's threatening Fort McMurray, they just ordered a citywide evacuation. And it's, it's beneficial in that it coordinates and it, it lets even other cities and other municipalities prepare to take people in to shelter them and have food ready and any kind of things they need. And, and a lot of, to, to their credit, a lot of Canadian companies have, either pledged support or pledged actual like I, I read a thing about WestJet uh getting a bunch of planes in to bring to fly people out yeah as long as they got out of the city the city and like it's just really great to see all the support that's coming I think uh I read that the federal government's also going to match donations dollar for dollar to is it the Red Cross yeah. or some yeah. Yeah, charity it's the Red Cross yeah text Red Cross to 30333 there you go yeah. yeah, but and they were also saying like uh, they actually have more volunteers than they need. So people have really stepped up to support the community as you'd as you'd expect. Like Northern Alberta, from what I understand, when I did live in Alberta, it was it's separated. Like it's very different from Southern Alberta, and I feel like the smaller community type feel would mean that people are closer knit, and it's more, much more of a small thing, small community feel than a city feel. Well, I but mean, there's I also the fact that. that most of the wealth of Alberta flows out of yeah, Fort McMurray. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you, uh, do you guys have anything else to say on that? Uh, um, or is that kind of just a note on your evacuation notices? Mm -hmm. um, some people in Northern communities aren't as tech savvy or they don't watch the news all the time. Right. So they still do have to post evacuation notices places. Yeah. And in Kirkland Lake, Kaya's hometown, you know, evacuation notices went up at major community centers and that included the tim hortons on the east end of town huh i mean it makes sense yeah 
I just what? What's that? Both Tim Hortons. Oh, had evacuation wow. notices. That's serious. Yeah. It was serious. The <laughs> yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, fires for, have gotten for, to the edge of town before. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it would be a disappointment to hear that it was only coffee places that got evacuation notices. Well, because I would never major find out communities. About them. I would argue that more people went went into either Tim Hortons than any of the other community centers that day. It, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm saying aggregate definitely a good thing. Like that's a good place because. In, especially in a small town, you, a lot of the population probably goes there. There probably aren't a lot of small shops. There's not a lot of diversity of coffee shops. And so people like coffee. People are going to go there. Yeah. Coffee and baked goods. Yeah. When the flood was happening here and as well as this Fort McMurray stuff, they were going around knocking on doors, just making sure that people were getting out. Because I think not only do people not hear about the evacuation, but they just might not evacuate. They're like, eh, I'm fine. Yeah. Right? They'll just try to be resilient or stubborn or whatever. And it's like, this is actually serious. You need to get out. Yeah. And especially in the case of this fire, the flood was a bit different because there were people who lived in condos where their their place had no chance of flooding and they just right. kind of stay there. Like their power would be out. They'd have their own generators, whatever. And they just kind of hang out because some people had nowhere else to go. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot so, of people probably have nowhere else to go. It, it, well, especially in this Fort McMurray case with, with right. Calgary, it's it might be a bit easier if you're yeah. allowed to stay in the city at least. Yeah, um, there's places they could go. But yeah, but it's like, well, I'm fine yeah. here kind of thing, right? Right. If we're talking about floods being the issue, there's only so much of Calgary that's in a floodplain. Yeah. 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 It ironically being the economic heart of the city, but you know, <laughs> yeah, details. unfortunately. I mean, those well, not really ironically. Happen. That's just. Yeah. Did I say house. ironic or did I say unfortunate? Because I meant to say unfortunate. Yeah, you said ironically, but. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's weird how like cities get stationed on the borders on the banks of rivers. <laughs> Just makes so much sense. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll all be thinking about Fort McMurray and hoping that everyone is able to get out safely and they're able to actually get the fire under control. And it sounds like there are a lot of areas that were really hard hit by the fire, a lot of areas in the city, but there might be some that are okay. So we'll have to see how that how that plays out. But it sounds like it's not uh it's not necessarily going to end anytime soon. No, and it's it just sounds like it's going to be a bad fire season in general. There's yeah. a fire that's crossed from BC into Alberta into the peace region that's just in the peace region. And there's also one around the Manitoba Ontario border that's not wreaking so much havoc because they're not threatening any direct population centers, but mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, well, in that case we'll move to to our follow-up which Hopefully it won't take as long as previous weeks because it is SpaceX and Tesla, as always. <laughs> uh, what I have wanted... SpaceX and Tesla done this week, Rob? <laughs> well, so I'll follow up with the less exciting news and specifically one detail that I wasn't clear on in, when we talked about autonomous vehicles in the f- in either last week's show or two weeks ago, or possibly both. We were talking about scales of driver li- of autonomous car that have been set. And the entire time we were talking in my mind, there were 10 levels of autonomous car, but it it turns out to me, I learned that there are actually only five. And so the, I think it's zero through four are the levels. And so Tesla's autopilot being a level three is actually very high already. And level four is basically from curb to curb. You don't have to do any driving like from, from parking or releasing the park brake 
to parking. You don't have to do any driving. You wouldn't need a driver's license to do. So Honda, it was Honda that I think did the, the, that was like bragging about their system and saying Tesla's is bad or not as good. It's only at level three. So if you get into a critical situation, you're still, you still have to be in charge and the system will shut off. Whereas if something happens with your Honda vehicle, once they, once they release it, cause obviously it's not out yet. If the system, if the system has an emergency, it will safely get you, as safely as possible, get you to the side of the road and stop. Yeah. And so that's a big difference, but I didn't realize that Tesla was level three and this that they're talking about is level four, which is like the full automation in theory, whether in practice or not, it turns out to be true, but in theory, you don't, you wouldn't need a driver's license. You wouldn't need any kind of licensing. It would just be the car has complete control, can drive you anywhere. And that, that makes it even more impressive that they're saying that they would assume liability and responsibility for any crashes Yeah, is that it, it's doing, it could do all the driving or it would do all the driving for, for most situations. So yeah. I thought that was impressive and worth mentioning for anyone. I don't know if I actually said that there were 10 levels. And so it seemed in my mind, like we were much further from total autonomy, but we're apparently very close with, with Honda, depending on what it's like when the system comes out. Yeah. Like I think there was some confusion because in the site that I looked up just quickly Googled, they had a graphic from whatever government transportation board and they broke down the autonomy levels. And there was actually like two scales. There's a scale from zero to 10, like you had mentioned, but Mm -hmm. then those zero to 10 levels were broken up further or grouped into four autonomy levels. Okay. So it's almost like level one was from zero to three, you know, level two was from three to six and kind of like that. So I wasn't really sure why there were two different scales, but Mm. I, I, yeah, I think just it's good to clear that up that we are actually fairly close to full autonomy. It's not, yeah. Yeah. Like it's not three out of 10 It's three out of four that we're we're at now. So yeah, that, that was the, the minor kind of nitpicky point that I came across in listening to another podcast actually that was talking about autonomous cars, but the, the big news from Tesla or the supposed news is that, uh, we had talked previously about how they were, Tesla wanted to ramp up to producing 500,000 cars, uh, per year. And that was the pretty much the only way they were going to ever realistically meet demand for the Tesla three. And it turns out that they were actually planning to do that in 2020. So by 2020, having it ramped up to 500,000 cars per year. But given the massive number, 400,000 and counting pre-orders of the Model 3, they're now stepping up those ambitions to try to get it to 500,000 cars by 2018. So two full years earlier and within a year of the Tesla 3 or the Model 3 coming out. And so I thought that was... It, like all the articles that, that talked about it, talk about how it's insanely uh, optimistic, the fact that they were going to be able to do that. But uh, Elon Musk is basically saying there are thousands or tens of thousands of different components that all have to be ready and in place for us to actually do this. And they all like if you are building 500,000 cars, you need 500,000 battery packs, you need 500,000 steering wheels, you need 500,000 uh, right rear tires like you need all of those things to be ready you can't make a you can't make 500,000 cars if you only have 499,000 like starters. And so they he wants to be optimistic as optimistic as possible. So let's say let's aim for this. So if we fail, 
and don't get 500,000, we might still have 250,000. Right. Whereas their previous goal would be like something like 50,000. Right. A lot more conservative. Yeah. Because if you aim for the moon and miss, at least you'll end among the stars. <laughs> Which is nonsense to any astro- uh, astronomer. But, uh, like, you won't be anywhere near any stars. Yeah. Shoot for the moon. <laughs> um, so for the economics interests of us, the yeah. Tesla stock actually dropped after Elon Musk announced their their goal. Yep. So, Nick, maybe you could comment more on this, but to me, that signals that investors don't actually believe that they're going to make that that mark. Is that would your interpretation be the same? I don't know if we talked about this on the show or not, but I remember listening to a story or reading a story about you know stock market fluctuations. Mm-hmm. And a reporter had called an investment firm and asked, hey, you know, why have the markets done this today? And, you know, usually there's a blurb, well, consumer confidence, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, this guy went to his boss and said, hey, why did StockX do Y today? I said, I don't know. Some people <laughs> yeah. bought or sold some stock. That's your answer. <laughs> yeah. So the reason Tesla stock dropped that day is that some people sold some Tesla stock. <laughs> <laughs> but it dropped like 10%. It, yeah. This is this, this seems like a lot. I guess a bunch of people sold. <laughs> I was actually side note, I was I was I'm about 3 quarters of the way through the big short. Okay. And it's it's <laughs> just 3 crazy. quarters. Yeah, I didn't haven't finished yet, but that's a crazy thing that whole mortgage yeah. bond thing. It's insane. Yeah. It got real, didn't it? It did. <laughs> anyway. Did you know that people are shorting the Canadian real estate market in record numbers? Oh. Because they're they're trying to cash in in similar <laughs> ways on a different housing bubble. There you go. Yeah. Hold on to your butts, guys. <laughs> I was reading an article about um, about real estate in Canada. In the I think it was the Globe and Mail today. And it just struck me as so... It, was, it seemed like it was obviously written or at least informed only by realtors. They were like, oh man, the real estate market's so good right now. And they yeah. were trying to encourage, especially females, like single unmarried women to like buy houses. They were saying a quarter of, of houses are bought by women these days and they should be going out and getting a, like getting into the market. And one of the quotes from one of the women who is apparently house hunting, uh, she was talking about how she she keeps hearing about some bubble, but she can't just wait until it bursts to buy. And it's like, that's not how bubbles work. <laughs> it struck me as very, very pro real estate when it, it kind of ignores the downsides of the real estate market and the fact that it is insanely high right now. Well, how often do you find people discouraging you to buy in a bull run? I guess. Yeah. It, it struck me as very odd, though. Like it was an odd tone to, yeah. to hit. It is. It is a local minimum, though, right now. It's not an absolute minimum, but it's it's a local minimum yes. anyway. Where? In Calgary? Eh. Cool. It's still pretty high. It's it's pretty high relative <laughs> to everywhere else, but it's it's almost as low as it's gonna get in Calgary, I think. Although I Calgary's economy is going down. Like, like not tanking, but rental prices are dropping, but actual property values haven't really sunk that far so far as I've so far as I've heard anyway. It's been at least a couple percent. But mm. oh, a couple percent. Well, like five to ten. Shut my mouth. Five to ten percent. Okay, that's maybe not ten. More significant. We'll say three to five percent. 
But like, I don't know. I've, I looked at some graphs recently of the, I feel like we talked about this on another episode. Anyway, I looked at some graphs of like Toronto and Vancouver average real estate prices. Yeah. You know, you know, in the graphs of carbon dioxide content in the atmosphere where it coincides with the <laughs> it start of the industrial revolution because it just looks yeah. just like a hockey stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same sort of deal in Vancouver housing prices. Yeah. It's, it's going gone. on, it's going on, it's going on, then whoop. <clears throat> Correlated yeah, that, with what though? That's a bubble. Correlated with, I don't know, people really enjoying real estate in Vancouver. <laughs> really desperately wanting real estate in Vancouver. Yeah. To to bring it back to Tesla, I think there could there's also a component of the share like going down not not a lot that like for instance if you look yesterday the change from yesterday is that's up three and a half points like 1.5 percent it was more that they tesla continues to miss estimates Mm -hmm. they keep they're they're losing money they're kind of like amazon and they've been they had been losing money but they're continually trying to fight to get into the black. But because they're so research intensive and they keep investing in new stuff, they, it's hard for them to break even and to make money. And that's kind of why every time there's a stock earning that either loses money or doesn't gain as much money, then the stock gets, takes a hit. Like it's quarterly earnings time and that just happens. So that could be another reason why it's gone down in the last little while. But it, overall that's, it's, just kind of where it's at so i'm looking at a graph here of like tesla tesla share prices what collapse are we talking about what's the timeline it's not really even a collapse it's just like a drop since the end of uh, april since the end of april yeah okay it could also be that they're currently losing money yeah that's what i mean i would i would assume that might be the reason that the stock dropped or why there would have been a massive sell-off right there's also some stories in here like it's it's up from the beginning ish of the year still. It's just it went hugely up when kind of speculation about the Model Three was happening, and then the Model Three was announced, and they got a bunch of pre-orders. But then people are kind of coming down from that and just realizing, like, I think it probably kind of again, I'm not a financier, so take this with a grain of salt. But Is that what you call now those? I'm no financier, but <laughs> <laughs> to me. You get into the news cycle and there's a bunch of news about Tesla and they're like, we made 100,000 pre-orders. We made 200,000, made 400,000. And then it's just like, okay, they did that. That's great. That's, we're all really looking forward to this car that's going to come in a year and a half. And we can't, we can't just keep buoying up the stock higher and higher or keep buying more and more of it in that interim because they're all, they're having problems manufacturing the Tesla X in volume. The Tesla, the S is selling pretty well, but they're kind of right now just in a waiting game until the three comes out. And so I guess people are speculative and they're going to wait. So fun fact between Wednesday and Thursday, Tesla volume, which I think I'm guessing that roughly people were trading Tesla stock at over a hundred thousand trades per minute. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Of course, we don't know how many of those are robots and how many are actual people. <laughs> Most of them. I assume the vast majority are robots. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on Tesla, but uh, are we also I, keeping I, an eye on their share price? We're, I, I'm going to keep a quarter of one eye on on their share price. Not really going to bother <laughs> me too much. Okay. 
Do you want to do you want to sell that quarter of one eye? Fifty bucks. Uh, no, I'll, I'll hang right here. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the last follow up story we have here is the the thing we always follow up on. What's what happened? What's the latest thing that happened with SpaceX? And I assume neither of you. You both seem completely unenthused by uh, SpaceX's live mission broadcasts. Uh, with good reason this time, I also didn't watch the live broadcast because it happened to take place in the middle of the night in my time zone. And so on 1 a.m. on Thursday night, I think it was Friday. So like early Friday morning here, SpaceX managed, was sending up a satellite, a communication satellite, uh, which actually is providing 4K TV and some kind of some weather and kind of tracking stuff for the asia pacific region and so it's setting up this this satellite to geostationary orbit which as you'll recall from earlier shows or if you pay attention to spacex is much higher and requires much faster uh rocket speeds and so the falcon 9 booster the first stage had to go twice as fast as the the last one which they did land on the barge and they were trying again to land on the barge this time and I encourage you to go and watch the YouTube video, like at least go to the the climax of the the landing. But they were able to it was nighttime. So you didn't get a, You don't get as good visuals for this video, but they were able to land from uh, sending the rocket to geostationary or geosynchronous transfer orbit. And they were able to land it on the barge again. This time, the degree of difficulty was theoretically twice as high, but probably not quite twice as high. And they did it. They did it probably even better than the first uh, barge landing. So did you guys watch or pay attention to any of this? No. No? No. Uh, it makes me sad because, again, I guess it's kind of good because this is just becoming commonplace, which is what, first of all, what Elon Musk and SpaceX want. They want it to be like, great, you landed another rocket. Wonderful. Yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly my feeling on it. But... I, it was so exciting. I, I showed the video to Julia, specifically that part, and she was so unenthused. But there was a point, like it's dark, right? So they they switched to the video of the barge, and then you see a bright light coming down from above. Like that's all you see. And then almost immediately, the entire screen goes white, and you hear the cheering of the SpaceX, the engineers and stuff in the background. You hear the cheers, and then you hear, oh, and then the light goes out completely. And you just hear, oh, like total disappointment. And then the floodlights come on from the barge and you see lit perfectly standing there, the the rocket. And everyone just cheered so loudly for like three solid minutes. It was so awesome because nobody was actually expecting this to be successful. And it was perfect. Mm -hmm. I was it made me very happy. And it was very, very heart wrenching to see to like think it failed because you see this massive blinding light and then it just goes out. But it's beautiful. Uh, but so the, the thing that I actually want to talk about in follow up with this is the fact that they've now landed, SpaceX has landed three rockets. They landed one on the ground. They landed one from low Earth orbit, which is the easy one. And now they've done the hardest of the three landings. And <laughs> they basically now have to transport them because they end up off the coast of Florida. They have a, a building in Texas where they, I believe, build them and work on them. And then they launch them from uh, Florida. But the 
their actual headquarters in California. So like there's a lot of transportation and you'd think, you know, it's a rocket. It can just, you can just send it back, but you actually, they actually have to load it onto a truck. Once it gets off the barge uh, on land, they load into a truck and drive it across the country basically. Mm -hmm. And so SpaceX's facility in Texas, where they kind of are planning to refurbish these rockets and relaunch them, uh, it has room for five Falcon nines because the, the thing that doesn't really show in this is that the scale of the Falcon nine is it's like a 150 foot tall rocket. It's really tall. And so it ends up being this massive thing. You need a huge hangar to only store five of them, but they now have three that they've reused. And so they're not, they're for the, for the longest time while they're doing paying missions, they don't want to reuse a rocket because people are paying full price. This is still an experiment yep. there. They're right. working on this. And so this article came out from the verge with an, in, an interview with SpaceX talking about, uh, how their hangar is going to be getting full really quickly. Like once they land five rockets again, unless they're ready to relaunch one of them, they are going to run out of room very quickly to actually store these use these preloaded rockets, which is a, the best possible problem to have because normally this just ends up burned up in the atmosphere or ends up splash landing in the ocean and can't be recovered. But so now they have this problem where they have a bunch of tech theoretically or technically good rockets that are just sitting in their storage facility and, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very curious on, on what this means for the future of space, because once you do get into the, the routine monotony of relanding a rocket, you just have a bunch of rockets that you now have to reuse and, and you can stop building new rockets. Whereas now first the priority would be like, okay, we have 10 missions coming up. We've got to go build these 10 rockets. Now it's like, how many rockets do we need to do these 10 missions? Can we do it with one rocket? Can we, do, can we build two and do five with each? Like how... That is going to be really interesting to how it plays out in the future of space. Right. Now, Tesla hasn't, or not Tesla, SpaceX, um, they haven't reused any rockets yet, right? Blue Origin has. They test, well, Blue Origin sent it into technical space, um, and they did it three times now, I believe. With the same one. Yeah. And so the closest Falcon 9 has come is they test fired the first one, I believe, but they haven't done any relaunching of of any yet so as in they went through like the ignition sequence but haven't actually launched anything they i think what they do they might not do full power necessarily but i think they tether it and then they okay do a controlled like stationary right uh almost like a hover test but with right like tied down yeah yeah okay yeah because i think like what you're saying if you're contracted to do a mission and you're using a used rocket and you're not sure if it's actually going to make it then you wouldn't want to risk it kind of like Mm -hmm. in engineering there's you know what's considered like a mean time between failure yeah which is kind of you want to get that long enough that you can at least guarantee you know as guaranteed as you can get that at least one more reuse will be fine kind of thing right but right now they don't have enough stats on mean time between failure to be able to reuse rockets for actual missions so right you don't almost say yeah, like you're saying just have to use it on test stuff until you yeah. can get enough data i guess um because yeah like the the consequence of having a failed launch when you're actually launching stuff up into space not just hey let's shoot this up and land it yep. it's probably not worth risking that right yeah it's almost definitely not worth risking <laughs> yeah yeah because their payload could be worth however much and be so critical whereas and that if it exploded in midair like that's not really an option kind of not if you can avoid it anyway 
It's it's funny. I actually introduced a friend of the show, Damien Brooms, uh, to the concept, the idea that SpaceX is run by Elon Musk as well, like in addition to Tesla. And this show really should be, or at least could be called, like, what's Elon up to this week? <laughs> well, that would be our follow-up section. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so I, I believe they now have another, like, when I was looking in April, they had two, like, almost clustered launches in May. So I think there's another one coming up this week, if I'm not mistaken. But they have, they're, like, doing a lot of missions for NASA. Mm-hmm. So, or in this case, I think it's a, like, Japanese satellite company. NASA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's, uh, I guess that's it for follow-up. And that means we get to talk about probably the second worst news that came out of this week. Uh, The idea that competition has once again been stifled in Canadian telecommunications. So... The the short version of this story is that Bell is going to acquire most of the Manitoba telephone service. I don't know if that's actually what the acronym is, but the the words are all close enough. Uh, so <laughs> the, Manitoba is one of the two provinces, along with uh, Saskatchewan, who has a I believe SaskTel is actually a public carrier, like they're oh, is it? partly okay. government owned. Um, so MTS. Was, is Manitoba's equivalent of that. So they're the, kind of the local carrier. They only service Manitobans. They had really good uh, plans and forced companies like Bell, Telus, and Rogers to compete on price and offer special plans that were only valid in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And so Quebec Bell has a planning, similar service, don't they? Sorry? Quebec has a similar service, don't they? Uh, they have Videotron. Yeah. But it's not exactly the same. It's closer to, to Rogers and Bell and okay. the like. Is it like their version of wind? Where it's kind of... No, no, it's better than... It's somewhere in between. It's just they don't compete on price nearly as much, okay. Videotron. Okay. But so the the story, the part of the story that's interesting, Bell is acquiring most of the the company, but there's some kind of agreement to send some of the people, some of the subscribers to TELUS, which it seems like, how is that not collusion? <laughs> We're going to buy this company, but here, tell us you can have some of the subscribers. I think Bell well, and Telus share a network. Last well, uh, I checked, anyway. Well, yeah, I I think Telus runs on the Bell network, or like, yeah, they they do have some kind of sharing thing. But the fact, the idea that subscribers are actually going to m- change hands, yeah, you're going. It, it seems very it's, odd to me. The the way is similar to how in the oil and gas industry there was recently a merger that was trying to take place between Baker Hughes and Halliburton. And they're number two and number three, or yeah, number two and number three in mm-hmm. the drilling industry, where Schlumberger is number one. So they're trying to merge, but the government, the U.S. government, was saying, "Well, you guys are too big. You need to sell some of your assets to other companies." Right. So that's that's kind of a similar thing where this is like, well, you you'd have too many of too much of the market share if you guys you know merge or you bought this other company. So you need to give away some of your subscribers. Right. And and it's up to the subscribers to stay with, you know, the new company, I guess. Like, I guess, you know, if, if they're saying, hey, you're now a TELUS customer, you could technically just switch back to Bell. Right. But it would be up to that person. Yeah. It's kind of like more of an opt-in versus an opt-out. Right. Um, yeah. The interesting part about this that I read, other than the fact that they're kind of working together to take this customer burden, is the fact that apparently MTS was running a huge deficit. There was something like a billion dollars in the, in the red. 
which makes some sense because that's kind of the 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 necessary thing for a small telecommunications company to to be profitable or not to be profitable but to keep subscribers is to have your prices low enough that people aren't going to want to jump ship to a much bigger company like because in theory rogers bell and telus have the resources to be able to provide better customer service and better service in general than a smaller company can and so they in order to compete on price with them in manitoba or in saskatchewan the the big companies had to keep their prices lower and so i'm really interested to see what happens with those mts subscribers are they gonna try to keep their old better cheaper plans is bell gonna continue to charge the customers less than they than they do elsewhere can they actually run like can can anyone run a sustainable business in canada that doesn't charge a bunch of money for for data because the like the network has to be so big we're it's such a big country and manitoba and saskatchewan are arguably two places where population is more spread out just because the rest of the provinces have bigger population centers and so it almost sound it almost seems to me like because there's no other than the, like there's capitals like there's saskatchewan or there's regina and there's saskatoon in in saskatchewan they're they're municipalities but the it seems like the the hot spots on other provincial maps are brighter yeah. than those two provinces. So I'm, I'm really curious. Yeah. Like I remember the, um, when I was looking at that census data a while back, um, was that for East meets West? I think I was doing that one for, and, uh, Maybe. the populations of the population of Manitoba is like, I think it was like 600,000 people all in the entire province. Yeah. And I think Saskatchewan is just over a million. So, yeah, and like you said, it's, it's a lot more spread out. I think Winnip- at least Manitoba, most of it's like Winnipeg and Brandon. Yeah. But Saskatchewan, I think, is a lot more spread out because you have Lloydminster, you have Swift Current, Saskatoon, Regina, all those different places. That yeah. They're kind of a couple hundred thousand in each place. Right. Um, I I think it's interesting, you know, you're talking about the deficit, like their, their debt, I guess. And it almost proves a point that their business model of having those low prices is not sustainable. It's not sustainable like, because there are the big carriers that are competing with them. Well, it's like MTS is leading the way as far as their pricing and, you know, Rogers and Bell and Telus had to match or come close yeah. to stay competitive in that market. But at least with the other networks, they were, or the providers, they were able to use, I guess, Saskatchewan and Manitoba as like a loss leader. Yeah, and then yeah. keep Ontario and Alberta, as Quebec as the ones that are making up that deficit. Right. Whereas MTS isn't able to do that because they don't have their network anywhere else. So I, I feel like it was just a matter of time before MTS was purchased because you know with a billion dollar deficit, like you can't operate for too long with that. Yeah, like at some point your investors are just going to stop giving you money because it's like you're not making any money. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and and i guess yeah i think you're asking about the um keeping them on those plans and stuff like i i think i remember reading that bell was gonna have it as like bell mts was their yeah. network name so yeah. i don't know if bell already has a network presence in manitoba so if they'll operate as bell and then bell mts kind of as an mvno type setup yeah i don't think so because I believe that, I mean, they're talking about building out infrastructure and having things like putting in five, 
in Manitoba. But right now, from what I've seen in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, most of the spectrum is owned by MTS and SaskTel and is licensed out to the other carriers. So oh, okay. that's why they can kind of afford to compete because they don't have to build the infrastructure because it's already there by those those kind of just regional carriers. Okay. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but it, it, this also allows, I'm, I have to assume that smaller carriers uh, like that just do operate in one province would have a harder time coming up with capital to invest in things like LTE or fast networks, especially in rural areas. Like in population centers, it's probably pretty easy because they're not even that big of population centers, but around those areas, I think it would be a lot harder to invest in blanketing it with network. Yeah. That being said, it it really it's going to be a while until we see anything happen here and only like six months or a year down the road are we going to see what actually ends up happening yeah nick did you have anything to add no i'm kind of thinking about sasktel i wonder what their deal is i think wikipedia is going to be perused after the episode's over yeah (laughs) It's, it's hard as a consumer because on one hand you want more competition you also want better networks. So you get more competition, but they're these really small crappy networks. So (laughs) you have, you know, Mobilicity comes in. It's like, wow, Mobilicity. It's like, yeah, more competition. Oh, but wait, their network sucks. Screw Mobilicity. And then you get Rogers buying Mobilicity or same with Wind. And it's like, oh, Wind, yeah, more competition. Oh, wait, there's no coverage here. Oh, wait. Okay, they get bought by, you know, for all intents and purposes, Rogers, but Shaw. Yeah. Um, And it's like, we want it both ways, kind of. Yep. I think just ultimately you just want lower prices. Yeah. But, uh, you know, lower prices aren't practical if you want better networks. So <laughs> you, you have to, like, pick one. And yeah. I don't know. It's. I almost, tough. a part of me thinks that we should, there should be, like, a government organization in charge of investing and putting money into infrastructure that isn't necessarily owned by any one company. Right. But that gets into a whole other economic situation and political situation that presumably isn't really wanted by anybody. Well, isn't that why they're trying to treat it as a utility? Exactly. Well, yeah. Right. But it's a privately owned utility. Yeah. Right. But well, so is like power grids. Yeah. Right. But, but you don't have people complaining about not getting power one day or another. So, like, so, well, I mean, yeah, they do. They, well, they do complain loudly if they don't have power, Mike. <laughs> but you know what I mean, though? Like, no, it's not I like, don't. oh, I'm with NMAX and I'm regularly experiencing blackouts, so I'm going to switch to a different provider. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what I mean, right? Whereas with cell service, like, you always have that, where you're not getting your promised data speed, you're not getting this, you're, you know, whatever. Like, so I, I feel that if it's a utility, there's more of an obligation on the part of the perp like the provider to maintain a certain level of service and an obligation on the part of the government to make sure that everyone playing in that business is doing a good job at it and right. if not then to do something about it maybe i don't know yeah i i agree with that sentiment but i also feel like people complain a lot about the prices of energy <laughs> sure like na- yeah i don't know yeah. how it is in alberta now but we have like peak electricity hours where it costs like twice as much to use a kilowatt hour of electricity during the day than it does at night. Yeah. Yeah. We Not have so much in Alberta. So far no, as I know, I think yeah. some commercial contracts are set up that way. Right. But 
residential, they don't have that. Okay. I almost wish they did because then you could try to take advantage of it. Like if yeah. you if you had some way to store the power and use it later. <laughs> power wall. Yeah. Exactly. Wide storage. Yeah. Yeah. We had a joke conversation about that, about how Alberta will build the world's largest capacitor. <laughs> Just have two giant parallel plates above a highway somewhere. <laughs> that sounds like it's not a supervillain lair at all. No, if you put a layer there, it'd certainly arc and kill everybody. Yeah. Can we talk about your shirt, Nick? Because I just I just saw it and I'm curious about what it is. Uh, there's barium, cobalt, and nitrogen listed. And then the what is it? The caption oh, says okay. the periodic I, table. It yeah. says I'm no scientist, but some things just belong together. I di- I didn't <laughs> see what's below those elemental yeah, symbols. Or the elemental things. Yeah, that's what gotcha. it is. Nice, nice. yeah so again it'll be a little while until this happens but or until we see any kind of results from it but it's it seems concerning given the lack of competition that already exists in canada um but that kind of leads to a neat transition to the last story we want to talk about i guess uh this this idea of live tv streaming that mike you had said a couple different companies have Mm -hmm. have launched or talked about this week yeah you know one of the main things that people still subscribe to cable for is the live events such as sports um i don't know award shows i guess i don't think it went but that's one of the times you'll watch live tv anyway or cable tv is you know award shows and that kind of thing so now there's been news of like we started with netflix and hulu and show me and all those that do episodes of tv or uh, movies and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and now both youtube and hulu have said that by you know in the near future you know 2017 2018 kind of time frame they'll offer live tv streaming through their services uh it's yet to be seen what that structure that system would look like but at least they're going to offer that type of service and i don't know if it'll be set up the same way where you have, you know, either scheduled events that the way YouTube works now, YouTube Live, where you click on the link and it shows the live stream, or if you can literally just flip to a channel where it says this is CTV or this is global and it just shows whatever's on right now. I guess right. we don't know if like what way it's going to go. Um, they actually have with the Android TV boxes that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Cody that the service runs on it offers plugins that have channels that you can go to and just watch TV the same way you'd watch any other TV same with like, you know it has commercials it just shows whatever's on I guess from an hour before because okay. it has to actually be uploaded right but it basically has like an hour time delay and you can just flip to the channel and it shows whatever's on at that time so I don't know if this will look the same way or if it's like, okay, we're going to have the Stanley Cup final on, click here, and it will start streaming once the event's happening. So right. I, th- I think either one is fine because for the most part, people will want to watch a specific thing, not just channel surf. Yeah. I I, I think, at least these days <laughs> anyway. I would think so, yeah. And, and not only that, but usually people can, if they just have an antenna you can pick up you know five channels and or five stations and and watch those you know for free except for the cost of the antenna so 
I, I think this would be more advantage uh, for the people looking for a specific, specific event where they're maybe not sitting at home or, you know, you just want to have it kind of there without having to watch actual live TV with commercials and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it definitely signals a, a shift in what the the networks are going to start doing because you've even had companies like, uh, is it HBO or one of those types? I think HBO has their own show hosting service now, like an over-the-top yeah. service. So yeah. I feel like you're, you know, Shaw's and Telus and Bell's of the world where they're offering cable services. I think they're going to be more or less a thing of the past in the near future. It really depends because for instance, like we, we signed up for Bell here, like cable internet, all that dealio, not like there's the Bell app on my, like on any of my devices or, or if I go to like, there's a mobile TV website too, where I can go pick a channel and I like I use this mostly for sports now because there's a bunch of playoffs going on. But I can just open the app. I can tune to most like any channel that's in my package. I can just go tap watch now and I can watch live sports mm -hmm. pretty much anywhere. And so I don't like that seems like the not necessarily the optimal solution, actually almost certainly not the optimal solution, but it seems like a very good solution. And so YouTube and Hulu can compete with that if you don't want to have uh if you don't want to have cable subscription, but most of these companies now like Rogers and Bell and presumably Telus has one as well, that like an app that you open, you log into with your cable subscription and then it just lets you watch the channels that you have on your TV package. Yeah, but that's just more, if, if they offered a service where you just paid, you know, 10 bucks a month and you had access to live sporting events, either live or just archived you know from the week mm -hmm. before the day before whatever would that not be better if you didn't have to pay for the entire cable service if all you're looking for are those specific events well i would argue first of all that if you did have that it would be more than ten dollars a month yeah and i would also argue like the whole archiving thing yes i think there's some value to having archived video like highlights and all that but i'm not sure anyone would there would really be a lot of incentive to have watching the entire game that happened yesterday because you'd already presumably know like you wouldn't want to spend an entire day spoiler free you'd want to like discuss something either as it's going on or right after it ends so it, while in theory that would work if you're in kind of isolated and you just want to get your entertainment but there's a certain especially now with twitter and, and social networks like that mm -hmm. there's a thing in being able to be like yeah, go Raptors, you guys won. Whereas if that happened, like if we were having this conversation right now, you and I, and I was subscribed to Bell and you were subscribed to this theoretical sports package, I'd be like, hey, Mike, you see the game last night? The Raptors did so good. And you, you'd be like, oh, no, I'm going to watch it right now. And you just ruined it because it's about <laughs> to start 24 hours later. So, yeah, yeah it's tough. I'll, I'll use the Olympics as an example because CBC did do their live streaming on their site for Olympic events, yeah. the last Winter Olympics. And I watched a couple events here and there. I did the same thing for World Cup and it, and it worked really well, especially with World Cup stuff where, and I guess Olympics even for that matter, where, where they're happening in a different time zone and that kind of thing where you can't watch it live. So you just say, oh, I want to watch the curling finals or I want to watch, you know, Colombia versus Brazil. And you just turn it on when you want to and you don't need to be subscribed to anything. It's just right. there. Yeah. And so I can see the appeal for that. If if someone is only subscribed to cable to get 
you know, TSN and Sportsnet to watch Raptors games or Blue Jays games or whatever. Yeah. That if you offered a service that you could get those same programs without paying an entire cable package worth of content, I think people would go to that. Yeah. Like there's the the skinny cable package that companies now have to offer mm-hmm. that would theoretically have TSN one or whatever the I assume TSN one is the first, like the the OG TSN. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of sports nets for regional and there's sports net one. The, Did the you basic, actually just describe it as the OG TSN? Yeah. <laughs> ah, <laughs> I did. Interesting. Uh, so, it, but there's also a bunch of sports nets. There's a bunch of different networks that now have yeah. multiple channels. ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. ESPN, the Ocho. Uh, you have to have multiple things to, to watch all these different Right. sports channels but if you have the skinny package that's good enough to cover whatever the main event is like if it's a blue jays world series game let's hope or a raptors uh nba finals game in theory you that would be on the main or channel. a maple Leaf stanley cup game <laughs> no, let's not joke around here um i'm if, glad my video is off <laughs> because it's just we'd have to censor you otherwise um if that happened that would be on the main channel but if you want to go and watch midget wrestling or something <laughs> this is this is a very bad uh irresponsible example from the dodgeball movie which is where the ocho also came from um i was wondering you have like, to go to a lesser sound like a real thing no it was like <laughs> it's a parody of the whole anyways no I, yeah i gotcha yeah um if you wanted to watch a lesser known sport or a lesser watched sport something like soccer you'd only be able to get it on one of those uh like further down TSN, the newer TSN two through five. So yeah, I, I would think that the, any regular sort of sports fan who tunes into things like the Olympics, things like, uh, the world cup, uh, all of these things, you, you'd be fine on the skinny package. But if you actually want, if you want the Olympics coverage where you can go and see, I don't know, biathlon. I don't know if biathlon's actually well liked, but I assume it's one of those things like if if the I don't know, aerial ski jumping yeah, is happening no. at the same time as biathlon, they're gonna show the ski jumping on the main station, but they would show the lesser watched things on the other ones. Yeah. And so you'd need the big package, the one that would theoretically cost more than ten dollars or twenty five in the case of the skinny cable package. You'd need more. It'd cost more, and that at that point, you basically already get into a cable subscription. And so, why why even bother doing all this? Right. But it is. I acknowledge that it's very tricky. And YouTube, I think, could do live TV if they could sign up, get all the networks on board, and all that, which is a whole other question in itself. Because TSN and Sportsnet and all those are owned by the big media companies. Right. Uh, if they could get them on board then I think that would be great. And YouTube could do really well with live streaming because they do really well with live streaming. But it wouldn't be as cheap as something like YouTube Red is where you can just watch videos and watch the original shows that YouTube has, YouTube has made. It would either it would be more expensive and at that point you may as well just get cable. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Like I guess, yeah, it depends. It's, it depends what you're trying to get. If If you want just, like you said, basic network shows and sports content, then you're probably fine with either a skinny package or just general live streaming. But if you want the other stuff, then you're probably going to end up paying as much as a cable subscription anyway. Right. And, and if you have a DVR, then then you're fine. And then you can just watch it as you need to or as yeah. you'd like to. But yeah. Well, and in theory, that kind of package 
with something like YouTube where YouTube takes accepts hours of content per second now or something like that, they can store all that video. So you could watch the Grammys the next day if you had this theoretical package. Like that's one of the ways that YouTube could do it really well. As far as I know, uh, networks like Bell and Rogers, they might they might keep like NHL Game Center. You can watch back NHL games and that comes with a Rogers subscription. But you can't go back and watch an arbitrary show that happened in the past. They have some that are on demand, but they're not all like that. You can't just go and watch anything you want from mm-hmm. their archives or from the annals of history. Nick, do you watch any TV outside of sports and bars? Uh, sometimes I watch the news. That makes sense. We have, uh, we have a usual rotation of what we watch off just like the network streaming services. Yes. Yeah. And we've also just gotten Netflix. Ooh. Yeah. So I've fallen fallen hard for House of Cards. Nice. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's it's quite a show. Couldn't really get into that one. Really? I never started. It's, I think I don't want one for like intense dramas. Like I I love suits and I I watched all the seasons on Netflix already, so I I'm assuming there's a season 5 out right now, but they only have up to season 4 on Netflix. Right. Another problem with <laughs> those kinds of things. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I really like talk political thrillers, but apparently not the Good Wife. So there's apparently that. not. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the news, I was talking. I was well. Julia was watching the news on Friday afternoon. Which network? I think CTV. Terrible. Uh, but it made me realize I was sitting there watching it with her, and I was sitting there on Twitter, like reading the news, whatever, reading whatever I was doing. And every single story that came on, I had already heard about because I was just like looking at Twitter intermittently throughout the day. Like there was no, I didn't learn anything that I hadn't already seen from watching the news. And it's just like either my aggregation is really good or the internet is just a much better place for that kind of thing. Like, I guess if you want a half hour digest of what happened, then the news is a good thing. But in general, most of the stories I don't care about. And so reading the headline and clicking through if I want to know more is a much better experience for me than sitting down to a half hour of news at a given time when in theory I would rarely or not always be home at that time. Yeah. I've always taken the approach of the important stuff will bubble up into my, my social media yeah. life. Yeah. The Otherwise... CGP gray, uh, <laughs> CGP gray model. <laughs> is that what that is? Okay. I think Although so. that's been failing him recently uh, well, with, I... his, with the SpaceX stuff. Yeah. Yeah. As Bodie totally. McBoatface. That's obviously not important for him, though. That's that that's that's proving the model. Mm, maybe, but like Bodie McBoatface is a perfect thing for for him to know to talk about with Brady. But he had right. to find out through Brady. I'm right. not sure I've listened to the last episode. No, huh? I feel like we should we should start ending the show the same way the hell internet ends, where it just ends. That's what I like, usually try to do. No, but usually be like, oh, you know, see you guys later, whatever, and then 